Fat-Free Film. I'm Joel Marshall. And I'm Camila Lopez, and we are here in the beautiful office of Chris Levinson. Thank did you. I pronounce that correctly? You did indeed. Um, and this is a very exciting and special episode for us because we have actually never interviewed someone that's in television per se. So you will be our, and, and I think that's really an interesting thing to look at is what's happening to this business and how are television and film really the lines between them becoming a race? Some people are saying the best writing is on television these days. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with them. No, it's nice to know I'm popping your cherry though. That's great. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. I'm delighted. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's true actually. That's what, it's funny because uh, coming from a man who, my father, Richard Levinson, wrote with his partner, William Link, to give full credit, wrote for television um, at a time when I was little and he used to tell me he'd get laughed at when he said he wanted to write features. And this was a man who was incredibly successful in the television world, but you weren't allowed to cross that line. So um, I've actually, I feel like I'm kind of the, the generation that grew up when that change occurred. And now people are able to jump back and forth with much more freedom. And, uh, and I do think TV has definitely benefited from that. When do you think that change occurred and why? Uh, that's a, a really good question. I, um, I will make up an answer. Okay. Uh, what I think it was, you know, my, my dad uh, was doing most of his work, um, and now I give a shout out to my dad who would be laughing hysterically that I think his work is so awesome at this point. He passed away when I was 14. But he created uh, Columbo and Murder, She Wrote and Mannix and did a lot of, um, those were his series that he did and then television films that he did um, at that time those were taken very seriously. He did the first uh, interracial couple on television, uh, which was called That Certain Summer. And he did, um, I'm sorry, that the interracial couple was uh, My Sweet Charlie, and That Certain Summer was the first homosexual relationship on television, like big groundbreaking stuff. So we TV writers found a way to do our, our television films. I think as we were discussing before, HBO was able to, to continue that trend. Um, and still does with things like Grey Gardens and beautiful work like that. But it used to be that the networks would make like 10 or 12 movies, mo they were called movies of the week. Oh, and, yeah. and that was like, I mean, for actors and writers and directors, that was a very good sort of revenue stream. And also mm -hmm. um, it was very enjoyable. And they don't, I mean, even Lifetime isn't making them now. Lifetime is doing more so than I think anyone, which is great. I think the big networks aren't relying on their, their television film. You know, they do their, their summer kind of exploitation movies where, you know, shark attacks and, you know, big things fall from the sky. They still do those occasionally. Um, we're in a very different time, and I do want to come, I'll, I'll remember to answer your question too, but um, they can make so much money. Do you like that my cat is answering questions yeah, from great. the background? Um, <laughs> that's Larkin, by the way. Um, they can make so much money by spending so little right now, which is a whole other conversation on reality television. Um, and as you noticed, I mean, last year NBC even tried to do away with an entire hour of network programming at the 10 o'clock slot, which did so well for them. Mm. I say not bitterly at all because my pilot didn't get picked up because Jay Leno went on. But oh. um, it, is that is that accurate that that was that 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 whole Conan Leno thing is the reason that people lost their that slot a lot for a lot. I mean, there are always 101 reasons why a pilot, you know, and sadly, not all of them creative why pilots don't make it. Um, I, I wish there were, and there was for a time actually, a network dedicated to airing pilots that didn't get picked up. And mm -hmm. they're so good. I mean, so much work goes into creating these worlds out of nothing. And they are, they're mini movies. And then they're never seen. And usually, you know, they spend anywhere from roughly 
the average is you know about six million dollars on a pilot or on a pilot where things blow up it certainly goes up but um, that was a huge issue at NBC they simply didn't have the real estate for things to be going on at that hour anymore the hope is now that they've reshuffled their schedule um, they're going to be able to bring in they're saying at least two more hours of scripted television but they're also preparing us there will be news and there will be reality but that's still two hours. Two hours a week. And it's, yeah, two hours a week at that slot, in that mm -hmm. 10 o'clock slot. But that's notoriously the most adult, challenging, you know, that's, that's when you watch TV for drama. Mm -hmm. And um, the great thing that did my heart good, because I was raised to really believe in TV. Um, you know, I, as you said, most of your folks uh, definitely work in features. But the, the joy of TV is it comes into your home and these people become your friends and that you do tune in once a week to see how your friends are. It's a very personal, you know, you're in someone's bedroom with them once a week. Um, and that hour is notoriously that kind of the most, um, the programming that I watch the most certainly. And what gave me such huge hope is the other networks continue to do great at 10. So, you know, at a time when TV viewership is dipping, I people think, were still uh, tuning in. In the Golden Globes, I think Juliana Margulies, when yes. she accepted her award, said thanks for believing in the, the 10 o'clock drama. Uh-huh. And but she's probably talking to that. Think about, I mean, I thought that was brazen and I kind of love yeah. her for that. Um, <laughs> but you look at, just in my, in my growing up, the shows that I loved, NYPD Blue, Homicide. Uh, I believe 30-something was a 10 o'clock show. I, you know, I worked on Law & Order, but I still, before I was even there, I think, brilliant show. Um, these wonderful kind of, when people think about what's best about TV, it's usually in that slot. So, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of pilots didn't get on last year, and the hope is those people will live to write again. So, so will you explain to me um, precisely, let's say, uh, let's say I am a writer and I've written a pilot. Um, what is the exact procedure that one goes through to get it to the point where they do actually make it? Um, I'll backtrack for a second. And you know, there's the, the, the hard thing about ever answering a question is, is there a hundred different ways that things certainly happen. But um, I, will, I will actually tell you the, the crazy road that my pilot took that was shot last year. Which is called Hopscotch? This, actually, that was my, what I developed this year. Oh, okay. Um, that was for ABC. Okay. Um, last year was called Lost and Found. And I wrote it while I was on Law and Order. Um, I had um, a development deal with Dick Wolf, who created and, and produces Daddy Dick, um, Law and Order. And so while I was there, I wrote um, the woman who runs his production company is named Nena Rodriguez, uh, who is wonderful. Ran worked at Imagine for a long time. Now works with Dick. She came to me with an idea, which is the best because that's one option. Someone can either bring you an idea, you birth it yourself, um, or the network can actually have something that they're working on. So they're starting from that early on in the process. There are a lot of different ways to go. Is that kitty going to drive you nuts? I don't think it'll get No? Me. Okay. Okay, good. He has many opinions on television as well. <laughs> um, so in this instance, the idea was brought to me. And it was, there is a real guy. Um, he, is a, he works 10 different part-time jobs in Tennessee. His name's um, Todd Matthews. And in his spare time, he finds the names of John and Jane Doe's. Do you want to do a show about it? Hmm. And that became a completely different premise in my world. It ended up being a single female lead show. Uh, yeah, thank you. I know, we need, we need more of those. Uh, played by Katie Sackhoff, who was in Battlestar Galactica. And her sidekick was played by Brian Cox, who is a brilliant, lovely really? man. Yeah. Um, and I, I wrote this project. And what 
was very lucky for me in television. Um, there are a lot of really smart network executives who happen to be women. None of them are running networks. At the moment, Fox, ABC, NBC, ABC, all presidents are male, but everyone under them in almost all of those instances, ladies. Um, and a lot of the who women- Who are they? Uh, at NBC at the time, Nina Tassler? No, that's, that's CBS. CBS. Yeah, um, really smart woman, Nina. Uh, at NBC, and again, while I was there, there was a regime shift. There were actually four regime shifts in my four years under contract at NBC. Um, Catherine Pope, who's now running Chernin's company, um, who used to run Fox. I hope this is interesting to people as I throw out names. It's very interesting. No, this is good. Uh, good, good. Very Catherine useful. is um, just smart as a whip and, and now is being a producer, which I think is really kind of terrific because she really, she found me and just, as I'll tell you how this project progressed, just believed in it until it got made. Um, Katie O'Connell, who has since kind of quit the business. Um, ben Silverman was in charge for a while. When I originally wrote the project, Kevin uh, Riley was in charge. So it went through two network presidents. I just outlast them. That's actually the advice that, that someone gave me once, which was like, how do you get through this? And she said, just outlast them. And I thought, you know what? That's what great thing about TV. Um, it just keeps moving. There's a, there's a breakneck pace. And if you, um, Peter Fisher, who ran Murder, She Wrote, once my dad kind of stepped back, he ran the day-to-day. -day. He told me when I was, I think I was 14, and kind of thinking about doing this for a living, he just said, there are very few people who can actually write. And if you really can do it, just keep doing it because you will work. And it, it's true, it's so much of this is, is about persistence and just showing up. The hard part is the temptation some days to not show up, but I think it really, um, show up to work and just kind of keep going. So Lost and Found was a perfect example of this because I wrote it, the women at the network really responded to a strong, albeit, can I drop, drop F-bombs? Sure. Fair enough, a fucked up lead character. Um, who was damaged and the way that she was able to find the names of John and Jane Doe's was to basically become them. So that when she found, um, there are no crime scenes, you just get a box. And it was um, in the pilot, an extra large tracksuit, um, a class ring on a chain and a Viking helmet. And that's all she had. She knew from the file that there was a bullet in the guy's head and he was a large African-American man. But she basically over the course of the pilot became him wore the Viking helmet to a bar, started jogging, like do, and through What's that. What's a John and Jane Doe? Um, bodies who were found by the LAPD, of we which they're, they, they don't have names. Because mm. um, the whole premise is, have, you know, have you ever left your house without your wallet? Mm -hmm. If you get shot and dumped, it, the, the putting you together with your name, which is what you're born, first thing you're given when you're born, mm -hmm. um, is stripped from you. And so it was this whole notion of giving people their names back. Um, as my cold comes back, um, but so how did how did uh, Catherine, part of Catherine it, yeah. find your script? Because I was under contract for Dick, who was at NBC Universal, she read it. She really responded to it, as did Katie O'Connell. They kind of flagged it for their bosses, Kevin uh, Riley. I went in to meet with him. Uh, do you remember during that time when Alec Baldwin had called, I think, his daughter a pig? Yeah. <laughs> so I had a meeting. He was Kevin was four minutes late for it. He opened his door and was like, I'm so sorry I'm late. He's got great hair, and he was very polite. And he said, I was just on the phone with Alec. So I'm like, great, you're in a good mood. <laughs> and the first thing he said to me, and I'm just, you know, at quoting the experience was, uh, I love your writing. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, I'm not going to pick it up, 
because I don't get women. Wow. And the executives in the room, both Katie and Catherine, went, huh? And I quoted this to him recently, and he, we laughed because he actually tried to buy my most recent project. So it's, it's, you play with the same people in the same sandbox, so you kind of, you don't take anything too personally. Kevin, a week later, left NBC. And went where? Fox, where he is now, doing some really brilliant programming, I think, things like Glee, which I think is one of the most fun shows on TV right now. Mm -hmm. um, jumped to a year later, those same executives uh, were at a meeting with Zucker, who runs NBC, who said, why don't we have uh, the closer on our network? Why don't we have that single female lead? And Catherine and Katie held up my script and said, we do. And they said, great, it's cast contingent if you can find the right girl. And I brought them Katie Sackhoff, who I'd been a huge fan of on Battlestar. We did a, a, a test shoot with her. She nailed it. And we got a green light. So that was my experience. It took two and a half years. Mm. Um, so I think the, the things that I learned from that is, uh, again, don't give up. There are, there are future lives for things. You know, that's what you always hear is... So what about now? Oh, so that show, did that show go on to be... No, show made? was shot uh, here in L.A., which was super fun. Um, then during um, Upfronts, they decided not to pick it up. They only picked up um, a couple of shows. What are Upfronts? Oh, good question. Uh, Upfronts is basically a frat party for network executives and uh, advertisers. It's in New York. It's every May. It takes place over a week. Um, every year they rotate the schedule, so every network has a different day to announce. It's the big unveiling, and they announce their fall schedules. And they fly in all their stars. The and talent, yeah. Not the writers. They fly them in, but we don't get to go on stage. <laughs> the pretty people go on stage. Um, but, yeah, it's really a chance for them. It's, um, we do sell soap, and this is a way to say to the advertisers, you know, these shows are going to bring more people to you. And uh, everybody goes and gets very drunk. Um, so I've heard, not me, mom. And, um, and <laughs> is uh, that where you find out whether your show is going to be picked up, or is that do you find out before? Or when? It's so funny for a, for a very organized, um, some might say, type A personality. I picked an industry that is so ridiculous. Uh, I found out. Little, little personal side note: I, my husband and I were in a in a really bad car accident the two days before they announced. So we got run off the road, hit and run, broke all my ribs, totaled my car, like Whoa. really. One of the most horrific experiences of my like a year later, I can kind of go, wow, that happened. Um, so I was in the ER getting scanned because they thought I'd ruptured my spleen. I mean, it was just nuts. Here in Los Angeles. Here in LA, Selby and Wilshire, be careful for people texting is all I can say. Um, and I'm in the ER getting emails from network executives saying, it looks good. How bad does it hurt? Oh, wait, no, now because you're either hot, you're not hot. If you don't get phone calls, another word of wisdom, your pilot is not going. Wow. It's like as soon as you stop getting the phone calls and the emails. So there really are. They, um, in the case of NBC, which again is the experience I had, uh, Ben Silverman, Angela Bromstead, who then had come in to run things as well, Zucker, I believe it was those three, go into a room and they screen the pilots and they make the decision. And it's based on what space they have on the air, what they want to pair, you know, which way the wind is blowing, where the tea leaves are. And um, I found out the next day, strung out on Vicodin, uh, I got a forwarded, forwarded, forwarded email that was a quote from Ben saying how excited they were about their fall lineup, and I realized our show wasn't on it. Oh. And then I fell back asleep. 
Um, and what's the agent doing during all of this? He's drunk in New York. Uh, uh, no, he, uh, yeah. honestly, they are, it's, it's, it's a very interesting, you know, you hear stories. Zwick and Hershkowitz, I can never yeah. say his last name appropriately, brilliant writers with 30-something. They said they were standing on in the wings, I believe I'm telling the story correctly, at, you know, wherever they were doing, that network was doing their upfronts, basically being told, change the name of 30-something or we won't pick it up. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to the wire. There are people who have flown to New York only to be told we changed our minds. Um, they, I mean, the stories run, I, my friend that same year who had a show on the air, uh, Life, Rand Ravitch, um, they never called to tell him they canceled it. He read it online. That's the other interesting thing. They eventually did. They never called Dick Wolf to tell him that they weren't doing our pilot. They called me, and I love them for that. But because of the internet, people are tweeting from inside up fronts. Mm. People are, there's such an instant access, which I think is kind of fantastic because it's pulling back this curtain that before they were able to kind of, you know, you were asking, how do you find out? Before it was a little bit more controlled, and um, and as a writer, you've spent the last if it's been shot, in my case it was a couple of years, but you've spent arguably you sell pitches in July or August, you then write them and turn in a draft before Thanksgiving, get a lot of notes and rewrite it numerous times, turn it in usually before Christmas, over Christmas, you work through the holiday. I have a friend who turned in a draft this year on New Year's, you find out in January, you then prep, shoot it, post it. So it wraps usually from July all the way through up to upfront to the next May. It's been a year of your life. So I kind of love the fact that there's not as much control and secrecy and that as a writer you kind of can keep more between Nikki Fink and the Hollywood Reporter and you know it's it's um it's a new age. I think it's kind of great. What do you think though um when some of the stuff when when you talk about it I wonder like, for instance, could you conceivably get your Lost and Found show back and take it, say, to cable? What, cable, I mean, when you talk about the 10, 10 o'clock slot, yeah. um, I just see that as cable. The entire landscape oh, of cable so is the 10 o'clock slot. Uh -huh. And I find that most of what I watch is, is cable. And I'm, I, I mean, there's just such great, great writing going on there. Is that something, is there, is there some kind of a wall um, for a writer such as yourself? Or, I mean, is it more prestigious to stay on network? Or what, what's the deal? What's... Okay, there are so many good questions in that one question that I'm going to try. <laughs> I am going to try. I'm like, I'm like, if I had enough coffee to get to all of them. Um, is it more prestigious to stay on network? I will answer that one first because what I think, you know, I've been doing this since I was two weeks out of college. I'm very lucky. Um, this has been my lifetime career. Um, it started out that it was, I mean, I remember when Fox was looked down on because it wasn't a quote unquote real network. And I've worked at Fox, I've worked at what was then the WB, where the pay scales weren't even up to network. I mean, now it's, um, they really are, there are arguably, um, Five, I guess, what CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, and, and the CW. Um, those are what I consider network. Most of my friends who are writers, and I won't say all, and maybe this is something about my friends, um, and most of the writers that I met with, because I actually went ahead to staff Lost and Found, so I got a chance to finally, I read 90 scripts. I met with, it was actually fantastic, because usually you only meet the people you're in a room with. And when you're on in development, which I've been doing for the last couple of years, you're where you're sitting now. You're in my in my home, and with my kid and my husband, which is great. But it was a chance to meet specifically other women writers, 
Um, and there are some really fantastic ones out there that I would not have met otherwise. All of them, almost to the last one, are dying to get into cable. They don't care about the pay cut. That's not what matters. What it is is it's about um, writing something you believe that will stay on the air, um, doing 13, 10, 11, 12, 13 episodes, which allows you to, I just bumped into Scott Winant, who's a great director at uh, Starbucks this morning, and he's working on True Blood. And he said it's so different. He did 30-something and so many other shows, but he said you get to actually pay attention to everything because you're not in a hurry. You can even write all of them before you start production. Hmm. It's a different world. In network, you're usually doing 22, sometimes 24 episodes. You hit episode 16. You want everyone in the room to die. No one's showering. You're <laughs> you haven't seen your family in months. And you're falling behind. You're always behind. Mm -hmm. The question is, will you shut down? That's always, if you can keep from shutting down, you're successful. But it's that, that wall that you hit of, I don't want to tell another one of these right now, um, that you don't deal with at cable. And it truly is a character world, a world where characters can live. As far as bringing projects from network to cable, it doesn't it seem like it makes so much sense. And because networks and cables are not, you know, CBS, Showtime, USA, NBC, you'd think they're all connected business-wise. Um, it's not easy. It's weird how it's kind of an old model that it's like network and cable, like they've got this separation, but really, mm -hmm. I mean, they're both delivered on a cable and they're all delivered the same exactly. way. It's, it's just really kind of based on something that was in the past. But, but it, also, it also has to do with the FCC laws and sure. what you, you know, can what's available show. to everybody well, versus what I choose to make available in my home. and. Mm -hmm protect my children from however I take the responsibility for that. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning too, in a, in a strange way, and I hadn't thought of this before, television and film in my father's era, cable and network. It's actually kind of coming down to that in a way where it's, it's, um, it's exciting as a writer to think about writing for cable because of the differences I listed before. And it is prestigious. I mean, if you think about the HBO world of it all, but it's, um, it, it is, they are slightly different worlds. It's a different lifestyle. You're on a different schedule during What's the year. What's the, you said there's a big pay cut between network and, and cable. What, do you, what is that cut? How drastic is it? It's pretty, you know, it totally, it depends what cable outlet it is. It depends what your deal is at network. I mean, if you're a staff writer on an NBC show, it's different than you're on an overall three-year deal on an NBC show, which is millions and millions of dollars to those lovely people who get those. So it's the the the. But what about the are, WGA? Is there a distinction in in like between cable, guild? Oh yeah, I mean guild. If it, they're all guild qualified shows, right. but um, but cable pay is different from. It's funny. I owe my dues, and uh, mm -hmm. and there's just a set fee that someone at my level. Um, pays that I, you know, that is just an assumption that would be different if I were at that level on a cable show. So it does, it changes your lifestyle. Um, as far as being able to take a network show to cable, though, it happened this year. Southland. Yeah. Which is a great show. I'm so glad show. it got to go somewhere. And I honestly think more people are going to watch it now than they would have if it had been lost on a network. It's because it is, it's a good, it's a very good show and it's well written, but it's another cop show. Mm -hmm. And when you have so many choices and you're at network and da da da, but if it's an actual appointment, in way, cable always feels more like an appointment to me in a mm -hmm. good way, not mm -hmm. the dentist, but more like, you know, 
I don't know. With I'm, TiVo, I'm though. But I don't know how, what my wife would be like. I mean, I don't watch commercials. Yeah. Except when you have a child, you find that all those commercials that you used to mock incessantly with babies on them, you're rewinding and watching. I'm like, Why? when the hell did this happen to me? Because you're just like, oh, I know when our son Leo. I remember when Leo did that. It's just, it becomes, you also use the word poo, which is something <laughs> I never thought I'd do. I'm sorry. It's just It's Antoine. so sad what's happened. It is sad. It's just <laughs> that, and I like go outside without finishing blow drying my hair. I just don't care anymore. No, it's, uh, it's worth that it though. That part's fine. By the way, who yeah. But uh, no, I actually finally changed the wording to my son, Leo, who is two and a half, because I've been saying poo so much the other day that I actually said to him, you've got shit in your pants. You really want to walk around with shit in your pants? And he looked at me and said, yips. And I was like, okay. And I probably shouldn't use that word prior to preschool. Um, but the jump, so the jump does happen. It helps that it was John Wells. Mm. It helps that there was so much publicity surrounding the changes at NBC. So the show had a heightened kind of... Uh, Q rate, whatever, you know, it was like people noticed it. Mm -hmm. um, it gives me hope. Uh, I think a, for- A woman sh um, created that. Yes, whose name I'm totally blanking on, which is embarrassing and- I am too, but I, I was just like very happy computer. that she was, it's that she did, because it's so not, you know, chick, chick flicky. No, it's shocking that women yeah. can actually, I, I don't know if you knew that, but we can actually yeah. write things that aren't, I mean, yeah. amazing. And even male it? characters too. I, wow. That's can we, no really? How yeah, no, that? I heard about that. And uh, I heard that men are much better at writing women characters oh, than we are, but good. apparently. Oh, I, I've experienced, yeah, yeah, you're right. Even though they don't get us or want to do the show, they can write the part. Yeah, they don't get us. It's so true. It was such a great statement. Um, I don't know if you guys read her or notice. I, I, I enjoy an occasional Nikki Fink reading. I read her every five minutes. So when we say I, Nikki Fink, we're talking about uh, Deadline, Deadline Hollywood Deadline Daily, Hollywood. which is a, a website where you get a lot of insider information. It's fantastic to read, and I would think for anyone who I read who all the comments, know. especially, because I like to hear how people are responding, and, mm -hmm. and it, it sort of paints a different view of Hollywood. I mean, people that are actually working in it that, you know, I mean, it's it's not as rarefied as you would imagine from a distance. I and I, yeah. It's, somebody gave me advice about uh, reading things online, though, is that you have to go on and either decide you're going to believe everything or nothing, because you can't just believe people saying nice things about you, and you can't believe, you know. So it's it's that making a choice before you go on. And and I, the the two examples, I just my husband who's madly Googling me, I, anyway, he found uh, the Futon Critic actually did a review of Lost and Found. I don't know how they saw it. God bless them. They wrote a multi-page uh, breakdown of the pilot, of the story, of what they thought worked and what they didn't think worked. They were spot on. I mean, I created the show and never have had a conversation with this person, and they really nailed it. It's people who take the time online to actually care. The snarky ones, whatever, can be fun reads, but there are so many people out there, like you guys doing what you do, who really care about it. Um, it's a great learning experience. Nikki Fink, however, picked an interesting subject because I had actually gotten um, a couple of emails from women friends who are showrunners who pointed out the fact that very few pilots this year that got picked up were written by women. Is that why that article was then on it there? Was on there. I'm using that article as a um, shaming device with uh, a pilot that I've written. I love you. Yeah. I I'm like, what about this? And I read when it was only four <laughs> comments, and this is what I mean about you have to pick and choose what you, there were only four comments, um, all what appeared to be male 
you know, names, but I, maybe there are a lot of guy, girls named, you know, Bruce, but mm. um, basically saying, well, you can't just claim that they weren't picking up pilots because they were written by women. They all sucked. Oh, I saw that And I'm that like, person. wow, that's a positive way Did, of looking at it. Were you the it. one that wrote, oh, no. have you read all of them? <laughs> no. I, I, this is where I also draw the line where I'm like, I can't get into responding. Don't get engaged. Oh, but, but that's the thing where it, um, it, it's not about, oh, they, and of course, I'm, I personally invested in this. I'm like, mine didn't suck, but, um, because I did write one this year, but um, it comes down to so many different factors, uh, male or female, maybe not, in the pilot selection process. But it definitely is who the network president wants to be hanging with. Like, there's no denying that. Mm. Uh, who the producers are, who the, you know, all those factors come in. And if they're picking their buddies and if they're picking people on their own shows who want to go off and develop, it did fall more into a male-centered world this year. And, um, and if you look at showrunners, there, there ain't enough of us out there. And there are some terrific, terrific women writing at all levels. And I uh, was raised by a guy who just said, be a tough cookie and just write. Just if you're a writer, you write. Doesn't matter if you've got tits, doesn't matter if you've got, you know, just do what you do. And I never really took into account how I look or my chromosome makeup, you know, that's not my problem. And then the strike hit. And it was very interesting Which for me. one, this recent This recent one? writer strike, which lasted for about five months. Uh, I had just had my child. Perfect timing, thank you so much, Writers Guild. It's the only person who loved the strike. But what happened was people were able to connect in a way that there's usually not that time. Film schedule, for all you people who are writing features, is, um, is very different than television. It's just, as I said earlier, it's constant. You, as you were also saying, you're always behind. You're always churning stuff out, which is great because they can't note you in some instances quite as badly. I've written features as well, and oh my God, the process can just linger forever. Uh, TV, you gotta, especially if you're in production, keep moving. But I met a lot of women, and for the first time, hearing their stories, you realized um, it doesn't make a difference if you're a boy or a girl walking into that room. It just does. And the question then is, um, how, do you, how do you deal with it? As opposed to complaining about it and whining and bitching and moaning. Okay, so what do you do? How do we get together and help each other? How do we, and I think it all comes back to, you just keep writing. Well, but I think, I think um, there, there's something also that we should consider. I mean, look at what, the, what just happened with that lawsuit um, that the WGA won for writers over 40. Ageism, yeah. I mean, I think there, there's a similar uh, argument to be made um, for women. I mean, don't get, I mean, I'm, you don't like, even get me started. We should talk once this ends. You yeah, and I will, will rant for just, a while. Uh, but there is, there's got to be something. To, first of all, um, uh, I will put this out there. Let's be good to each other. Let's start there, because um, I will admit that I was very guilty as a younger writer of loving being the only woman in the room. There was something really prestigious about that. I was on Law and Order. Uh, Wendy Battles was there for the first year that I was there. Great writer. After that, I was the only woman. And you take this kind of great chest-swelling pride in it, but I don't anymore. It's like, let's actually foster each other. Let's find each other and help each other out. I think that we can be our own worst enemies, so knock that off. Like, let's start there. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. We've got, uh, there are a lot of us. They need us to continue the species. So, you know, we're, we're going to stick around you, for a while. You, <laughs> sometimes you wonder if they are aware of that. I'm not. 
You know, oh. No, I, I, I have to be reminded occasionally. Should we, I could write it down on a post-it. I could just, <laughs> my whole hope is that I'm actually, my goal is to hit 60 and write a script with like a 20-year-old sexy lead and write it under a different name yeah. and just send it in and see what, so I'm looking see forward to that. Look at what happened to Madeline Stowe, though. That was really crushing to oh, me. Oh, I don't know that's what happened. Well, she wrote under a, a male pseudonym, she wrote a feature script yeah. that every studio was bidding for. And this was at the time when specs were pulling in really big numbers. I remember that. And <laughs> she, I mean, they wanted to pay, I don't know, like $5 million for the script or something crazy. And then she was like, okay, well, it's me and I'm the girl in the movie. And they were like, oh, forget it. Oh, she should have waited like a week. Ah. Uh... Now that's um... because they said she was too old to play the role, which she had written for herself, and she's an absolutely stunningly beautiful yeah, woman. Yeah, we should all and, we should I all mean, age. That, yeah, that exactly. Well. The whole um, so that was. I, I loved. Re I read coverage on something. I wrote with a partner for a while and uh, a guy, and uh, it was really funny because they they wrote that you know this 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 Chris Levinson really has an ear for uh, for women's voices. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of online, they think you're that. a male. Yeah, Because they, do. they keep yeah. saying he, and we I'm actually like, saw Joel. something on the internet where they said he is this and he is oh, that, and awesome. I'm like, I'm Don't pretty sure it's it. a woman. Don't change it. <laughs> actually, they've altered my voice for this interview, and um, I'm really a strapping, um, ruggedly handsome, which is the phrase that, if it says in any script, I put it down. <laughs> because I think it's an ruggedly. easy copy. He's ruggedly handsome, down, and yeah. I just don't. It's the same as if brown-eyed girl plays at a wedding. Mm. I leave. Mm. I'm out. I dated an acapella singer. You just, it's yeah. just, it's like, it's in you and you just can't. I was young. I was foolish. Can I ask a few things really quick? One, one is, uh, on Law and Order, what was your job and what was your daily life like there? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm to hold on to sanity. Uh, what, <laughs> what was my job? I, um, I was there for three seasons. Mm -hmm. um, I started out there, actually, I was brought in by a fella named Waylon Green, who is a beyond brilliant, wrote The Wild Bunch, um, has been been around for a little while, um, will come in to hear a story pitched, an episode, and will end up being in your office for three hours, and you'll end up finding yourself discussing the jazz age. He's just an absolute pleasure. Um, I met him when I was 18. I was a PA on NYPD Blue during the summer, mm. and we stayed in touch, and he found out I was available and brought me in to do, there was a spinoff of Law & Order called Trial by Jury. So I did that for a season, and then I came over to what's called The Mothership, which is the, the, the original Law & Order. Um, I was a writer there, I was consulting producer, and then I moved up to co-executive producer my last year there. Um, and it's a unique experience, all shows are different, but the way that Law & Order functions is um, everything is done uh, by yourself. So that you come up with a story, you pitch it, you outline it, and you write the script, in the comfort of your own office with the door closed. There's no room, um, because as Dick likes to say, it's not about character, because you can kill any actor you want at any time and it doesn't matter, um, and they do. Um, so, uh, and then you go to New York, if you are of a certain level of producer, to produce your episodes. Okay. So, so you did it from here? You wrote from here? All the writers are here but one. Um, on, on, actually, on SVU, Law & Order, I don't know about criminal intent, but the, the writers are all are all here. And you say there's no room, you mean there's no writer room? There's no writer's room, writer's yeah. Room? Unlike shows that I've been on that are more character driven, mm -hmm. like you know, my first job was Party of Five, we lived in the room, we never left the room, we, it was awesome, we had sleeping bags, it was fantastic, like we just didn't leave and it was like a big family and that's where story came from. 
um, Law and Order is a very um, isolated uh, experience. And what's brilliant business-wise in that regard is um, if you have, say, eight writers on staff, eight scripts are being written at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you're never behind. And the production in New York is seamless. It's just they're, they're brilliant at what they do. So it just keeps moving. So um, sometimes it's just, yeah, this occurred to me that we were, we were talking about this the other day, but it seems like with network television, a lot of times the um, episodes are more contained uh, as a story that stands by itself that can be mixed and mixed and matched later on, you know, when they get uh, syndicated. That's called close-ended. Close-ended. And then uh, it seems like on the, on cable, it's more of a a kind of an episodic. Serialized. Serialized. Uh, You know, it's, it's always what's in fashion. I mean, certainly Grey's Anatomy is not hurting from being serialized, and God bless them. Um, but it is uh, very appealing. If you look at the pilots that were picked up, again, it's it's which the way the wind is blowing. This season, uh, what are known as procedurals, are very popular. Those are all close-ended. They're uh, cops, uh, doctors, lawyers, like mostly cops and lawyers, and um, they rerun very well. Uh, serialized shows. I also run on Dawson's Creek did not rerun well because you already knew if, if Dawson and Joey hooked up. Like, no, mm-hmm. I, I saw that. What's next week? Um, and it's also now they look to DVD sales. You know, that's what I was shocked. Um, I actually have a friend under 30, and <laughs> she was talking to me about watching TV, and she doesn't. She's like, oh, I get the, the season Netflix, of 24, the DVDs, right? and I watch it in the weekend. And my heart stopped because you just think about all the work that goes into one season of television. But I, I, I'm like, wow, I'm old. Because um, she said, why would I wait to watch one a week? It's just a very different mindset. Yeah. So they're becoming almost like a movie viewing experience mm-hmm. because you can watch it in a chunk. And that's, I mean, there is a sort of new genre that's being created that I, I really love, mm-hmm. which is uh, what Damages is doing, which Smart is kind show. of creating a, nar- a, a, a 12 or 10 episode narrative that literally if it never goes another day you're completely satisfied it's so well you know all the the strings tie up and you've got this amazing cast and it's almost it's like the old miniseries yes. feel yeah it's t- and it's like um you know you end up so frequently blue balled when you fall in love with a series yeah. and i think it's 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 telling lost and those oh, kinds where that lost like... did the brilliant thing of i'll be watching tonight because you know it's ending right. there's an end date i don't think any other show i mean that show is a unique i just hope that they i mean i haven't been watching in the last few seasons but i just came back i, I gave I'll be out, back i gave tonight. up for a couple of years and then this last season i watched and yeah. now i'm salivating oh really yeah the thing that i wonder and i'm I'm sure that they will do this, that they will explain a lot of these things that occurred you know, throughout the thing. I spoke to a network executive who's already seen a chunk of them. Yeah. I know the numbers get explained. Yeah. And oh, I'm like, good. yes. So there are a few what things. What about that... the weird polar bears and all that? <laughs> I think they tried to explain I think that. Of, I think that was already uh, but explained. But I, I didn't really pay enough attention, I guess. But I was what, getting a sandwich at the time. What bugs me is when a show does not, I mean, maybe it's just me, but when they show you all kinds it's of weird you. things, it's probably just me. They show you all kinds of weird things, and then they never explain it. Or, or the show gets canceled before they can explain, well, it, like Carnival. Oh my lord! Yeah, like, oh. no, there's, there's, there's something to be said for as we were talking before too. When you have this set number of episodes, um, damages, at least from what I've read about their first season, they did change the ending quite a bit, which I don't understand coming from a mystery writer. The mystery writer's daughter. It's like I'm a coal miner's granddaughter and a mystery writer's daughter. Um, it's true. It's crazy, <laughs> but. Um, I don't know how you change the ending of a mystery. That's hard for me. I 
Sorry, guys, but I think that's BS. Like, you have to actually be building to something, although I did enjoy it the first season. It didn't feel like they did. No, it didn't. So maybe they're just saying yeah, it to they're... mess with my head. Yeah, it's like, we're I... going to fuck with Chris Levinson. But <laughs> um, they're able to do that, and they get talent of that caliber to sign on because it is a set period, um, which I think is terrific. And you can be... I, the, the first pilot I ever sold was called The Circus, and it was to NBC, and it was about a small town one murder, one trial over the course of a season. And it was, how do you get to know the people in this town when they're overwhelmed by the media? And secrets that don't have anything to do with the murder are starting to come out because there's so much, there's this need for 24-7 news and there's need for, it. I should have sold it to a cable outlet, but this was four years ago. It was just before, you know, I was also under contract at Lovely at the Peacock, so that's where I went. But uh, now I believe, um, they're actually about to close a deal for Steve Zalian to do that for HBO. Oh, really? Which and I watch. And Scorsese's doing something for The Boardwalk HBO. show, I know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's fun. Those are the shows that are, that are great fun, but there's also something to be said for, you know, the bread and butter, which is still, I don't mean to poo-poo the success of something. I mean, look how many there's people watch The word. Mentalist. I did use poo. You did, twice but in a row. But it sounded kind of French, kind didn't of it? Kind of different, yeah. Poo-poo? <laughs> yeah, with an H. Yes. That's what Thank it was. Thank you, like Winnie. Like um, <laughs> uh, but you look at The Mentalist, which has huge numbers. You look at, you know, in its heyday, 24. That Those are network shows. They're very different in style and taste, but there's a place for them. I mean, Murder, She Wrote was on for most of my lifetime. I was on it. You were? That's so cool. That's awesome. Uh, that was my first straight offer job. I didn't have to audition or anything. Oh, that makes me happy. And I, I had such a great experience. Um, it was well, a good Angela group of Lansbury was unbelievable. Angela. Six o'clock came and she go, oh, it's six o'clock. See you tomorrow. Yeah, no, and everybody was like, whoa. It's the Clint Eastwood of, uh, of yeah. Grand Dams. No, she, uh, my dad never really understood. He didn't complain. But he's like, why is it still on? And he knew that it was because <laughs> Columbo for him lovely. was a, she is was not the first choice for the role, which cracks me up. Wow. Maureen Stapleton was the first choice for the role. Um, Angela, it's more Miss Marple. Yeah, and there was this comfort level to Murder She Wrote that people and Law and Order has it as well. And it's what you were saying about Close Ended, that you come in, there's a mystery, there's a question mark, and it's resolved. And whether it's tied up neatly or not. It's, it's, it's finished, and it gives you that sense of, I have friends who have gotten through cancer treatment, through divorces, watching Law & Order, because it's just, it's these little, little novels, and it really is. They're Greek tragedies, which is fantastic, because there's an end to them. My hope is that there's a way to do stories like that with enough serialized character, because that's what draws me, to mm-hmm. watch that you come back for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Angela, just to take one second to talk about the great, I'm so blessed. She is a true lady. And people think that playing Jessica Fletcher on Murder, She Wrote, she was, that's not acting. I'm like, oh my God, yes, Angela is very elegant and very classy. And that was a huge stretch for her. And I was, my, as I said, my dad died when I was 14. I used to call her Sunday nights, nine o'clock, when the show finished, and I'd give her notes. <laughs> And she'd take the, like, she'd listen to me. The most gracious, I thought I was helping out. You know, I was picking up where my dad left off. And um, (laughs) jumped to a couple years ago, I wrote a role for her on a uh, Law & Order episode. And she got nominated for an Emmy. (gasps) We went to the Emmys together. And like my father, 
she didn't win. <laughs> so it was one of those things where I'm like, she got nominated tons with my dad and once with me, and neither of us could get her that award. Is she still working? Is is it is? She's right now in Blythe Spirit on Broadway. She just won a Tony oh my last year. And oh wait, now she's doing a little night music. I mm. think. Yeah, she's great. But Angela, Jerry Orbach, like these great Brian Cox, workhorses who really love their craft and come and it's it's um, as a showrunner. The hard part about accepting that job is um, you don't get to do as much of what you love doing. You don't get to be in the writer's room as much. You don't get to be on the set, which I love. I'm one of those perverse people who, there are writers who don't like to produce. I do. Um, you end up putting out fires. So that when you have someone of that level, there's a little jab of wisdom, uh, write a role with someone um, in it who's over 30, who's, so you can cast someone who's actually done this before, and they bring an adult sensibility to the set that is so appreciated and everyone rises up to their level which is really fantastic so i've had the the joy of getting to work with some amazing people so do tell us a little about hopscotch i know it's kind of um a bruise do you but, have this yeah thanks but, for bringing the salt and here's the wound uh, but yeah but maybe we can deconstruct it and come up with some solutions uh, thank you i like that this has turned into a therapy session my husband thanks you my therapist who i'm seeing later thanks you i guess um it, it was an interesting experience for me because i really uh i was i was coming up with ideas to develop and you know you you try so hard one of my favorite phrases is is um live live for curiosity and not by fear. And you can get stuck in this rut in TV where you say, well, what's working? What did they buy? What mm -hmm. do I want? I had a writer once tell me, because he got a show on the air, and I know what did it. I put a baby in it. <laughs> I mean, there is no, I'm sorry to say, there's no rule sheet, there's no how-to book. It's like parenting. You just roll with it, and you just do the best that you can. And you gotta write what interests you, because you're gonna be stuck doing it in success for years. So. Um, I was stuck in that rut, what am I going to write, what am I going to do, took a walk to Starbucks, came back and said to my husband, excuse the snot, um, shit, I've come up with a Bruckheimer CBS idea. <laughs> and he's like, I'm so sorry, because it's not, I'm like, I want to write a strong woman, I like to write character, but I'm known for writing procedural now, which makes me giggle because I started out writing character. But right now I'm in that box and there, there aren't a lot of women doing it, I really love a good mystery. So I came up with an idea called Hopscotch. Um, Jerry did not like that title, but it never got changed. Um, uh, that I did end up doing indeed with Bruckheimer. I sold it to them. I'm getting ahead of myself. I came up with an idea. It was um, five non-consecutive days in the investigation of a murder. So now that television is five acts, that has changed in the last couple of years. When I started, it was four, and it, what's called a teaser. So you get kind of a, a tease and uh, opening credits and sometimes commercials and then you come back and do four acts. Now it's five because they need more commercial time. Um, it's my belief that it's brutalizing storytelling, specifically mysteries. You can't come up with enough twists to justify that many outs. So you end up watering stories down, which is really frustrating, but you can scream that into the wind and they pat you on the head, the butt, and you're out. But um, So what it was, was it was in the five act structure, it was five days. But what I was doing was in each murder, I would get to pick which days. So in the pilot, it was day one, day three, day eight, day 13, and day 23. 
so that you could just do the most interesting days in the case and jump. It, it turned out to be, a, as my husband said, it's like a cannonball idea that was attached to my ankle. The difficulty was in practice, you have to restart the drama at the top of each act just to catch up to where you are. So while storytelling, it was really intriguing, there was so much kind of, okay, the commercial's over, now where am I? Why are these people behaving the way that they are? It, like I was talking about earlier, Murder, She Wrote was comfort. This was too jarring. Mm. So what I would say is that nowadays, with films like Memento sort of breaking ground, people, and there was even an article about this in the WGA magazine, how this new generation doesn't need to see the door open or close. They, don't, they can land into a situation, and they kind of prefer not having all that sort of expository, well, we are here now. It's been eight days since the body was found under the tree, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. It's... Um, I'm so strongly with you, and I think most writers are, I, being raised again by a man who said, uh, never underestimate your audience. Uh, you know, when my dad created Columbo, he was told, no, can't do it. One, um, you already know who, I'm hoping that someone in your audience is old enough to have watched Columbo, but you, you see the murderer in the first scene, and the network executive said, that can't happen, and you don't meet your lead actor until 20 minutes in. And they said, well, that can't happen. And now Columbo is one of the most like, well-known ever detective shows. But they did it first as a, as a play because networks weren't, weren't open to it. But he always said, you know, the, the audience will keep up with you. The challenge is um, a pilot, and you, I think, were commenting on this earlier, too. A pilot is a completely different beast than the series. And in the series, the first six episodes are a completely different beast than the actual series because you're figuring yourself out. Yeah, that's what I feel like. They don't give give them a chance to find their legs, really. And they don't they don't leave things on enough for an audience to trust that the show that they like is going to stay on, so they don't commit. Mm. That's what I found is as soon as shows get picked up, which they did about a month ago, like oh we're going to keep these on for a while. There's an uptick in viewers because people go oh this is sticking around for a while maybe I'll check it out so they can go online and catch up and do whatever needs to happen but um, yeah there's not there's not a lot of trust and a pilot is an odd experience a pilot's a movie you know you spend as I said a year and roughly you know six to ten million dollars on 43 minutes and every notes call that I was on in this Hopscotch I can actually finish answering your Hopscotch question about the, the process of that um, there were about 12 people in every meeting, giving notes. It's not unusual. There's one writer and 12 executives from your production team, your producers, your studio, I was with Warner Brothers, um, and your network. And usually three, about three people show up from each place, um, at least. And if it's a high profile project, more people show up. Um, it's so much scrutiny that a pilot becomes exactly as you're discussing. It's, well, when I was 12, my mother shot my father. It's a lot of soap opera talk mm -hmm. where you have to have backstory, you have to have justification for every move. That once you're in series, and that's what you notice, things change. And mm -hmm. there's more breathing room and there's more um, air. I find it really interesting to go back and look at the pilots on shows that I've watched for a long time. Uh -huh. um, that, I think it's also a good learning experience for people who are writing pilots because you can see it's a, it's a totally different animal than what you've what it's evolved into. It's and a sales also there's tool. all that's the this sad part. It's that, a sales yeah. tool. And, that's and there's what they all said. this exposition that has to occur and all this setting up of characters mm -hmm. and it has to you kind of have to uh, be super specific about who these people are so that you can set up for this story to occur. 
um, and that it's not as compelling as the rest of the series usually. No, because that's what's great. Um, the joy, and again, I can't, I can't speak of it highly enough. Although, if you're a feature writer, please keep doing what you do so I can have my own job. But um, it, the opportunity to my experience in writing features versus television. In TV, you get to live lives with these characters. Um, and if you're lucky enough, you know when you're getting canceled, so you can give them a, 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 a kind of somewhat justified death. But um, each week you get to know them better, and each week they get to have different experiences, just like you do. In a feature, you have your finite page count, and it's a beginning, middle, and end. So it's just a very different way of, I mean, I'm stating the obvious, but as far as a writing experience, like you really get to make people. Mm -hmm. And I think people who write really good pilots, the house pilot was fantastic. The Buffy pilot was wonderful. Mm. Sex and the City was atrocious. Uh, it became a completely different show. It was people would stop and turn to the camera and talk to the camera in the pilot of Sex and the City. It was a much more they broke the wall. I mean it was it wasn't the show that I think people who loved what it became. Mm -hmm. So it, I think it's a very good thing now that it's available to be able to go on yeah, and see how things change frequently, how casts change, <laughs> but yeah. Do you think that there, um, let's say that a network wants to buy your pilot, mm -hmm. do you think you would be able to negotiate, or certainly you, I mean not anybody, but you that already. The Chris Levinson. Yes. As we, I was referred to online once, and yes, I want to get that he, embroidered on a shirt. He would be yeah. able to negotiate um, <laughs> some, some uh, thing that basically says, if you do decide to cancel the show, I need to have X number of episodes advance notice. If you, um, if you do decide not to pick up the pilot, I want the opportunity to use the footage, add, um, you know, finance the other 30 minutes myself, release it as a film and give you X percent. And are there, are, can you make these deals? Um, I've never heard of it happening. I never want to say never because, uh, because God, that's a fantastic idea. Um, this isn't my belief, but it's just the fact because it's a business. Um, I don't think those things are feasible. As far as saying you have to give me such and such amount of warning, you're already so far out ahead production-wise and script-wise that it doesn't actually uh, compute with the episode that's airing. So to be able to say, you know, I need to have this many, the problem is you're going to already be in success three episodes ahead um, writing um, when they pull the plug. So the question is, how would you ever catch up to? So I think they'd poo-poo that notion, um, unless you are at such a level and they really want the show. Um, crazy things happen when that's mm -hmm. the case. Um, as far as wanting to, to do it as a movie, you know, it's funny. Uh, cable is smart in doing that. Cable pilots are 90 minutes. So they frequently... It, you, cable pilots are 90 minutes? A lot of them are. USA is. Um, I feel like I have, oh, I took my scripts out of here, I would be able to look. TNT oh might be, but they're, they're mini movies. So that you actually, um, there's one right here, my friend just wrote one for USA, and it's 90 minutes, and actually they, they shot it, um, did not make it to series, but they aired it as a movie. Chris, I, I want to ask you just logistically, if yes. someone is... I get up and I shower. Yeah, and then what happens? Then I, yeah. <laughs> Now, if you're if you're in college right now and you're looking to be a screenwriter or work in television, I mean, yes. Um, what what would be the best steps after you get out of college to get into that business? Such a totally great question, and um, and I've been waiting 15 years to get a good answer for it. And and the problem is there's no perfect answer. Yeah. Here's uh, you gotta be in LA. I will say that much. Um, and you have to be writing. 
this is my belief also, you can't just say, hey, I want to be involved in it and not have a sample to show. Um, the catch-22 of television is you won't be read on a show unless you have representation for legal reasons. You they won't, won't, be, your... won't be read on a show um, unless you're submitted by an agent. Very frequently, a show will not read a spec of their own show either. So let's say you love, there's a show on the air right now which I cannot say better things about called Men of a Certain Age. It's on TNT. It's fantastic. If I were a college kid and said, I want to write characters, I want to write 60-year-old men, uh, uh, sorry, Ray Romano, 55-year-old men, however old they are, um, if you wrote a spec and sent it to them legally, they can't read it because then you can accuse them of having stolen oh, the story. So um, my suggestion is be, be in LA, be writing. Um, there are a couple of options. If you have incredibly thick skin, um, intern at an agency. A, write, a writer's agency. Yes. Uh, well, you know, any, any of the big agencies, agencies now, yeah. I mean, I now that the, the things. gargantuan things that they are, uh, it's a time suck. You mm -hmm. won't have a lot of free time to be writing, but if you're young and unmarried and have the energy, which I remember I had at one and point. And parents that'll pay your rent because they're not going to They pay don't pay you anything. Either. But it's one of those things where if you don't get caught in doing it for too long, because it will eat your soul, but at least then what you get is a view of the territory. You kind of get, if you're working in the television department, you get to know the names. You kind of get to know the schedule of things, because there is a system in place. Timing. You also will then get to know who the hungry agents are who might sign you. Um, you get to develop relationships because so much of this industry is based on that. Um, on just, I think actually Conan, if you haven't seen it or read it, read his final monologue. It's beautiful. That basically says, don't be cynical, be kind and just keep doing what you do and, and life will turn out okay. So I think that if you have people that respond to you, um, they'll want to work with you. So one option is, agency. Another one is, um, I would say, go through your college uh, alum. I actually just signed on to mentor someone because I went to Stanford and they have a program, which blows my mind because when I was there they sure as hell didn't, but um, reach out to people who went to your college and say, I'll do anything. I think it really is just, just being around. Um, if you can get hooked up with someone on a show, be, I did it. I was an unpaid intern on shows. I learned so much just by being there, sitting in a writer's room, kind of getting, and then the one thing that I would say is, is challenging, and this goes, this is counterintuitive, being a writer's assistant on a show, which sounds like the most foolproof way to get in the door, do your homework before you go, find out what your executive producer's attitudes are like. Frequently, if they've asked you to buy them coffee, they don't want to read your scripts. It's a weird thing. It's not how I'm built, it's not how everyone's built. I like to help people and promote them. But a lot of the times it's like, if you're too good at your job, they don't want to lose you. And they see you in a certain light. So they see you as kind of being a gopher. They don't particularly want to read your script. So, um, but if you find an environment that is open, but I'd say go, go through college alum. Um, and you say and write also, and when you say that, do you mean write spec scripts, pilots? Really good question. It, that's changed a lot too. The, the playing field is much wider now. Mm -hmm. People will read and like to read different stuff. When I told you I read 90 scripts, mm -hmm. oh, Jesus, God, you, your eyes cross from like you can't read another cold case spec, like you're going to die. <laughs> and what stood out to me were there was a baby writer who wrote a fantastic pilot that breaks my heart that it's not getting made because I would not only watch it, I'd like to write it. 
It's one so of those why, things. So why is it not getting made? Uh, just didn't have it, unfortunately, like features, you know, when things are hot for a weekend mm -hmm. and then no one buys it, so it goes away, which amazes me. Um, it goes out, and if it's not kind of snapped up, it's also a challenge for a staff writer because you have to go under the assumption that you have to find someone who will run it, who will be a good pair. There's more that goes into it if you're a baby writer without the experience. It happens, mm -hmm. by God, it happens. Mm -hmm. But um, so I would say you should probably have at least two samples. One that's straightforward, that's a show that exists that you can write to prove that you can copy a voice and that you can meet a style. Because um, that's what you do when you go on staff of a show. Your job is to emulate the creator's vision and to sound like them. So if you can find a sample like that, that's great. And then do something original. It can be a short. It can be a short story, a play, um, a pilot, something that is truly your voice. And then I say write just because you should be writing. If you're a writer, you should friggin' be writing. Don't talk. Do your job. As much as the sad part is that so much of your job becomes when you reach a showrunner level, so much of it is talking. So much of it is politics and meetings, and you kind of get to a place where you're like, can I just go right now? But um, And also dealing with the different personalities and sort of being the person that keeps everybody from flipping out, too, right? Yeah, there's no more. My, my husband, the novelist, is always like, why can't you be more of a writer? You really are a politician. And Carol Barbie, who's a just a good egg. She just created, and unfortunately it was recently canceled, a show called Three Rivers on CBS, but she ran Jericho, she ran um, Swingtown, and Judging Amy, and she's a solid, good individual. I did Judging Amy. You did, she's, did you meet Carol? I think I did. Blonde, very, she was an actress. She started oh. out as an actress. They and were very nice on that show, too. That was a too. sweet and show. And that was another show where, Amy, or where um, the lead actress looked at her watch, stood up, and left at a certain time. Because she could, and that's so. There's, and there's she something. had a new baby too. Yes, and now she's on private practice, and I think having a really nice time. But Carol Barbie always says, and it's true, your mom, whether you're the boy or not, but your job is to put out the fires and make it look like they never happened, mm. because you've got a writer's room that counts on you to be able to just do their job. They're in there keeping, they're pushing the rock up the hill and they don't need to be worried about the fact that the actress won't come out of her trailer or the actor's high again and can't remember his dialogue or been through all of those. And um, you have to keep it moving forward. Also as a showrunner, I'm blowing all my advice so that at the end, if you ask for any, I won't have any left. Okay, we can call this the uh, film bites I, section. Oh, this no, will be I, your I'll film just, bite. I'll just throw out a lot of them. <laughs> no, but one, not anything too deep, but you know, as, as you're moving up the ladder, find people who you work well with. Because when you get to a position, let's say my next pilot that I write goes, you need someone in that number two slot that you trust because they're the ones who you leave in the room when you have to go put out the fires. They're the ones who go to the set and talk to the actors when you're cramming on a rewrite. They're the one, it's, um, TV's a team sport, much more so than my experience has been writing features. Television is, you create it in a vacuum, all by yourself, and then you invite, you know, you draft a team. And you have to learn to um, check your ego I think the, the, the qualities that you have to learn in order to, to be successful, check your ego, um, make decisions quickly, knowing that things have to continue moving forward, and that you can change your mind. You can go back and say, remember what I said an hour ago, but be decisive. 
because I've seen more shows fail because creators get caught up micromanaging um, or just panic and don't want to make the wrong decision. Here's the deal. There's no right decision. It's subjective. This is a creative world, but just trust your gut and make a decision and move on. It's like if you're trying to decorate your house and you never moved on from paint swatches, your house is going to look like shit. So make something and move on. Um, and advice that is not mine, again, Carol Barbie, when you're staffing a show, staff it like you're inviting people to a dinner party. They don't all have to get along. They don't all have to sound the same. They don't all have to agree with you. You want different inputs and people to clash and, because you want your characters to all do that as well. You just have to be able to play mom and do it respectfully. You're going to be rewriting all of them at some point. And I think it's just, um, I've learned shockingly that if you thank people for the work that they're doing and you respect people for, I can't do, I can't do sound. Patrick who did sound on my pilot and I still text with each other. He's in Atlanta shooting Vampire Diaries because I loved the work that he did and I told him. And his response was always, wow, no one's ever done that before. And that amazes me. So take the friggin' time to tell people. I mean, I, when ABC passed on my pilot a couple of weeks ago, one of the first things I said to them was, I would not want your job. Making these calls must suck. And there was this long pause. And it was like, there were three of them on the phone. And they're like, because I told them also I was half a bottle down um, already when they called. I was like, I already got the news and I already got, and they're like, can we come over? And it's just, and those people I will work with again because I didn't do the unzip, pull out the dick. How fucking dare you miss is the most brilliant thing of, no, it was one of many pilots. I worked my ass off on it. It's not right for them right now. And someday I might take it back and do it for somebody else. Ha ha. Yeah. So I think, I think that, um, one of the things that we have to start doing is looking at things that have historically been sort of no, we couldn't possibly, and because the 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 field is so confusing right now that I think we really can make our own rules. Cer certainly, somebody like yourself is going to be able to make your own rules. It, you, I think, um, my God, I I didn't do this specifically because I didn't want a desk job in a cubicle where there was an attire that I needed to wear. It's just funny, I watched the pilot of Mannix for the first time, I'd never seen it. Hmm. And um, I remember my dad telling me where they came up for the idea was based on the Black Tower at Universal, where all the executives lived. Lou Wasserman was at the top. And they had to dress a certain way, they couldn't have anything personal on their desks, one sheet of paper at a time, they had to wear the ties and the blazers, and Mannix was all about this character who walked in in a loud blazer, who there were cameras in each person's office. He'd put a coat rack in front of the camera. He did it, he lived by his own rules, but he was a people person. I'm a writer so that I don't have to shower every day, although I do. And right now, I know you can't see me, my hair's fantastic. <laughs> there was an actress who once actually said that. She walked onto set and said, okay, my hair is perfect, let's shoot this. <laughs> Not naming any names, Sarah, Sarah Michelle Gellar. I would never. <laughs> Because it's such a great quote, but um, but great. no, you have to. I think we are luckily living at a time where the lines are blurring between everything, and that um, there's so much fear right now. Everything is fear-based. Everyone's terrified that people are going to stop watching television, and stop going to the movies, and all they want, all they really need, is a good script. So just give it to them. Well, 
on that note, I think that's a good place to end. Um, you had so many great film bites there. I think I'm not going to hold you to doing a film bite. Yeah, okay, that was good. great. Um, one of the things that I learned and something I guess that I've been thinking about but also uh, was really uh, pointed out here, I think, for me, is that discipline is something that's really important, in, especially for a writer, because just listening to you, you have so, so much obviously have so much expertise that you've learned over the years, but also you gain a certain amount of, you know, you have a talent, everybody has whatever talent, but mm -hmm. really to become great at what you do, it takes a lot of discipline because that's how you learn uh, what works and what doesn't and, and you learn to make decisions and you can do a lot of that on your own wherever you are as yes. a writer. And perseverance. And perseverance. You know? it's, a, it's a kind of a, a tag team. Kamala, do you have anything to say at the end here? No, I'm just I'm just kind of reeling that I found out that a cable pilot is 90 minutes long. De depends on which network. Okay. I can't. I'm only speaking for USA because that's actually the script sitting on my desk. And that's where we're going first. With your pilot. Uh huh. You can always add like, some fun to it. I just cut it from 90 pages. It took us like a, a three weeks Do to you still boil have it, it down. But don't you still have it in your computer? Yeah, but it's not as good as the new 70-page version. Um, they, if Trust me, if people want something enough, there are always ways to, to make, make it, it to longer, make it work. Shorter. Once they talk to me about it when this is over, because okay. I, have, I have words of wisdom. It's a great network. Okay. Fun, cool people. That's okay. Yeah. Stay tuned here on Fat Free Film <laughs> for the exciting conclusion of Camelot's pilot. Um, we uh, we're gonna wrap it up. Thank you so much, Chris. Oh, this is great. Thank this is really you. fun. Really thank you. Very good. And I want to say thank you to Justin, who's uh, this is the first time we've done it uh, done this on Lavalier, so we we're all like mic. So we'll see how that goes. And I also want to uh, thank Scott Lobdell for introducing us to Chris and wish him. Huge good luck on his new pilot yes. for sci-fi, Ball and, and Chain. Shane. And Scott, I owe you lunch. And Scott owes us another interview because I think we talked. He said he would come back for a second one. Um, all right. Thank you so much. Thank and you. we'll uh, see everybody next time on Fat Free Film.